cool. I like that. That's hot. As Paris Holton would say. That's hot. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm Fraser Medford-Corn. I'm Roisin Caird. And I'm Johnny Rhodes. And welcome to True Scotsman, the history and current affairs podcast where we delve into a variety of topics and dispel your illusions. We have fun making them and hope you have fun listening to them. So today, Jonathan, Jonathan's iPhone I'm speaking to, you're, you're phoning it in, Rasheen is phoning it in, yep. and being here, I sense a pattern is developing. You get it? Yes, there's definitely a phone theme. Alexander Graham Bell is spinning in his grave so fast, we could hook him up to a generator and solve global warming. You, you, you missed the episode title, the sort of pun that I was putting in there. Uh, but it's fine. We have a title? When did we ever get a title? <laughs> I told you this episode's going to be the tartan episode. So that's what we're talking about. A pattern is developing. That's what the whole... I oh, God, I see what you did there. But... I get your Fred count now. Aye, aye, I get it. Ah, <laughs> oh, a bit tired, man. A bit tired, man. It makes sense. We're all tired these days, aren't we? But it's good to be, it's good to be here. It's good to be here with you, Johnny. So... Yeah. yeah, it's good to be here with you as well, Fraser. You know, there's nothing more I like than sitting here talking about Scottish clothing with you. I mean, before this, in our free time, we were just having a long rambling discussion about trues. And now we get to finally, after 29 hours, move on to Tartan. But that was a marathon and I'm proud of us. And really, I don't think we've exhausted it. I think we need to come back to that. But let's take a break and talk Tartan. Yeah, I mean, now we get to have a long rambling conversation about Tartan, but this one we actually turn the recording on this time so that people can hear it. Yeah, I've heard that is a good idea in podcasting to record yourself. I mean, I'm not sure if I fully believe it, but I'm willing to give it the old college try. I don't know. Our views kind of speak for themselves. They have been climbing, so yeah, good time. Uh, for the Excellent. Li- climbing like the Fred Count on a quality Tartan. Oh, there's, now there's a pattern right there for us. So yeah, let's yeah. let's talk tartan. So Johnny, when about do you think tartans? Where, where do you where what sort of time periods do you think they're from? Oh, that is a very good question, Fraser. Because as we all know, it's actually really hard to say because we know we have like the Romans, for example, describing patterned clothing, mm-hmm. and. We have, you know, for example, there's the famous Fife Tartan or the Fife Ribbon, um, which is, or sorry, might be Falkirk Tartan or Falkirk Ribbon. And basically that is from the third century AD. But really to place a sort of hard date on what we now call Tartan is pretty damn hard. Yeah, I'm going to say 2004. <laughs> that is roughly about right. Yeah, 2004 is indeed. Yeah, yeah. Um... <laughs> No, uh, so, so here's, here's the thing that I was, look, I was looking at. I was doing some research into tartan, and of course, it's one of these things that everyone says that, you know, the Chinese invented it because 
people always say this. But like I talked about in the whiskey episodes, that isn't always the case. And sometimes what the Chinese came up with is not actually tartan or is not actually whiskey, it's actually something else. But here's the really interesting one about tartan. So there was a tribe in China. They were in the, the Turin Basin. Uh, and we know about them mostly because we found some mummies. Uh, so we found some mummies back in, is it in the 19th century we found them? Uh, at the beginning of the 20th century, right? We found this cave and it had a bunch of these mummies. There's about 30 of them. Uh, this is what they found. Now the weirdest thing is about them is that despite these being found in like, you know, China, uh, you'd expect them to have kind of like, you know, the sort of descent you'd expect of Chinese people, you know, or uh, possibly Mongol people because they're from that kind of area. But they didn't have features like this. They had extremely Caucasian features. Now modern genetic studies have actually shown that these guys have a lot of interconnections with Celtic people. Right, so are you trying to argue we introduced tartan to China? Like China gave us medicine and plateware and basically modern writing or whatever. And in return, we were like, wow, guys, that's bloody great. Thank you so much. Here, here's some tartan. But don't worry, we'll be back in 2000 years to introduce drugs to your population and then fight a war when you try to stop us. Well, it's, it's, it's a really weird one. I, I'm, I'm by no means an archaeologist or somebody who can study migration patterns or whatever. So possibly what's actually happened, right, is that maybe this is where the Celts originated. Because, you know, you know, the stories about the Celts, right, they, they tend to involve a lot of us traveling about the place. Uh, so there's a whole story of Gathelis where he left Greece and he went to Egypt and then he went to, like, you know, Iberia, Ireland, you know, Scotland eventually. There's, there's that whole story of the, the Celts being these, like, you know, seafaring people who evolved in Greece and then traveled all around the Mediterranean. But this story has it that actually the Celts were a steppe people initially. We kind of originated in the steppes of China and then we made our way across. Wait, 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 Teresa, are you trying to, I don't like what you're arguing here. I think you're trying to argue that all the stories of the Celts' origins that involve dragons and giants and unicorns and you know things like that might be debatably true. I will not stand for this slander, hence why I am now sitting down, because I'm in shock. You with your crazy conspiracy theories, I'm gonna stick to my original belief that the Celts came to Britain to fight giants. That is science, my friend, and you need to believe in it. The earth is round, gravity is real, and the Celts came here to fight giants. Well, I mean, mate, I don't know what to tell you, but here's the cool thing, right? So the Chinese for years had stories of these, like, you know, really tall guys with like, you know, deep, deep set eyes that were blue and green. Now these are not features that you find in regular Chinese people. So for, and for years, archeologists and historians just thought, oh, these are just random myths that they came up with. But the discovery of these mummies kind of suggested to them that these myths may have been true. And you know the craziest thing with these with these mummies and the reason I'm talking about them in a podcast about tartan, they had oh. fuck on them, and the fabric was tartan. There's evidence of kilts and tartan trues on these three thousand year old mummies. Now, doesn't that just blow your mind? That is pretty incredible that tartan has that reach. It's it seems to be one of those things where um, it, it's like pyramids. There are so many different cultures that built pyramids that maybe didn't have any connection to each other, or even dragons. Like, dragons appear in some form in Chinese, Japanese, Mexican, um, European, of course, North African mythology, 
even when these cultures clearly didn't interact. So there's maybe just something about the raw sexual allure of a good bit of tartan that attracts all human beings, regardless of background. Maybe the thing that unites all people, other than a burning jealousy of the career of Ben Affleck, is a love of tartan. Yeah, I mean, that, that is possible. There is a pattern that we've seen that basically sometimes these kind of tropes or like memes sort of transport culturally around the world uh, just by trade routes or whatever like this. The most interesting thing about the tartan one, right, is that the type of loom that you use to, to make a tartan, right, uh, you know, the type of wool spinning that you need to, to form the strands that make up a tartan kilt. This is the most easternmost and earliest example of one of them they found. So that kind of suggests that maybe this thing had travelled over from, say, from Europe and went that direction as well. So it's well, hard to say. It's, yeah, I just love these stories of, like, you know, ancient people's moving place. Like, I, I like the idea that we've not been these static guys just tied to the land for millions of years, that actually people have done stuff. People have gone places. People have, like... Yeah have traveled and I, th I think that's what we're all about you know at true scotsman we're like blowing up the true scotsman and saying well maybe the true scotsman is actually from china no that is a bold claim i mean yeah i you're right i do like when we sort of remember that cultural transmission and population and genetics moving around is definitely not a recent thing you know the first Black Britons didn't come here on the Windrush. And, you know, the first Asian Britons weren't here, you know, back in 1963. There are long histories of migrations and counter-migrations that have gone on for years. Oh, and by the way, speaking of tartan in the Far East, did you know that uh, Japan is the single biggest importer of uh, Harris Tweed? Are they? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that even Hello Kitty has her own tartan. Really? I never yep. know. Is, is it registered with the, 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 the registers at Lions Court in Edinburgh? Oh, it, it, no, it is official. Yes, it's an officially registered tartan. That's magic. I'm planning on getting a tartan registered at something. You know, the spookiest thing, Fraser, because you know how I said earlier in an off the cuff comment that tartan was invented in 2004. Guess when the Hello Kitty tartan was officially registered? <laughs> I know. What a world. What a world. <laughs> And you didn't so we're agreed. Hello Kitty invented tartan. And that is the episode. Thank you, everyone. <laughs> that was quick. Yeah. I'm actually gonna put the I'm actually gonna put the like you know the closing credits there just to like mess with people, but they're gonna see it there's an extra 20 minutes or so on the episode after that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love doing weird things with the way the episode works. Um, yeah, anyway, there's a lot of cool things about tartan because so, and it seems that even in Scotland, we were designing these like forms of tartan, like by your dot. Like, when the, we were still the Picts, we were wearing kind of tartan style clothing, we were like you know, dyeing fabric and we were using we were making it into similar types of pattern. Now, of course, it's not it, it's, it's not perfect because nothing is like you know. The transmission of history from the old times to the modern times is never an exact replica. Uh, but it's very, it's very interesting that we have got this kind of chain that you can see where the Scottish tartan is from. But, you know, it's, it's a real thing which has carried on for a very long time. Um, there's, examples, yeah. there's examples of it in the, uh, in the books of several royals. So like um, James V, I believe, or VI, I can't remember. 
uh, he wore he had a tartan, he had a tartan when he used to go hunting. Uh, so he had a hunting tartan. So yeah. it, it was it was used for things even by Scottish royals. Yeah, and can we just say as well, like you know, the the tartan is not a uniquely Scottish thing. I mean, like people think you have to have Scottish ancestry, but there are a lot of countries and stuff that have let's just call it a tenuous connection to Scotland that used tartan. I mean, both Zam- Zimbabwe and the Congo have a national tartan. Well, I suppose that'd make sense because we did go about the place quite a lot. Uh... Exactly. But the Congo was, of course, famously a Belgian colony. So how they ended up getting a national tartan, I mean, maybe the Belgians have something we don't know about. But that's for another episode There's... of another podcast called What Are the Belgians Really Up To? <laughs> That'd be a good one. So, uh, yeah, I actually looked it up just because I was thinking about it and because they've basically got the same flag as us. And it's a Jamaican tartan. Uh, it's oh, yeah. The cool, it's green. It is green and yellow, just like their flag. Uh, yeah, it's a really good looking tartan, actually. I think it's a very mm. proper one. Um, it was actually only registered in 2012. So, you know, eight years after tartan was invented by Hello Kitty. But it's... Uh, of course. Yeah, it's interesting to know that you know, countries around the world also have their tartans. Uh, of course, our... that, that, Because that's it. Tartan is very aesthetically pleasing. You know, it's a good fashion item. I mean, controversial opinion, but Burberry is basically a type of tartan or at least very closely related to it. And we see how popular that's become the world over. I mean, you know, it is a very fashionable piece of clothing and pattern, uh, the tartan pattern. Yeah, it's, it's all over the place. People... It's, and I think it is this sort of thing which several cultures have come up with similar types of, like, you know, plaid design or like uh, checkered design because, yeah, just lines on fabric look good. And when they're made in different colours, they look even better. So, yeah, that makes sense. But here's... Hey, sir, can I ask you a question that's clearly loaded and intended to move the plot along of the podcast? Yeah. Um, do you... Right, so the whole tartans linked to a particular family. Isn't it true that it was first a regional thing before it was a family thing. Like, because tartan is basically coloured wool, it depended on what plants and animal dyes and B&Q opening hours you had uh, in your local area. Then it became a sort of family thing much, much later on in the 19th century. Yeah, that, that, is, a kind of, that is a kind of interesting thing. So, um, yeah, like back in the day, of course, if you had certain berries around, you'd use those to make your kilt. And if you had certain other berries, you'd use those to make your kilt instead. Uh, but it's kind of interesting that like, they did develop this clan system of tartans even a little bit before we got to the 19th century. Because this was a big part of the Dress Act in 1746. So just so that people at home know what the Dress Act was. After uh, the Stuarts tried to retake the throne in 1745, Parliament in Westminster decided that the Highland Scottish culture was too dangerous to exist. So their idea was that they were going to ban it, that they were going to uh, undertake certain rules to you know, fix the way they were speaking English so it sounded more like English people. They were going to uh, get rid of tartans, they were going to get rid of kilt, and yeah, basically Scottish culture was going to be suppressed overall. overall. Now this was, of course, a very sad time. Mm. The reason they did that is because the clan traditions that you know you did have in the kilts, it was it was a very it's a very strong symbol, right? People would see their colours and they'd recognise their colours of their families, of their areas, all these types of things. And I think that's why they tried as hard to get rid of it. 
Uh, and the thing so is- it was oh sorry Fraser, it's just like Tartan was in the pre seventeen forty four seventeen forty five era very strongly linked with rebellion. I mean, quite soon after the 1707 Act of Union, you have the birth of the Jacobite tartan. And I mean, everything about that is rebellious. Like, it has white, and the white symbolizes the white flower of the Stuart dynasty. You know what I mean? Like, the colors were rebellious. The wearing of tartan was, again, rebellious. It was to speak to an identity that was separate. I mean, that being said, a lot of the government forces also wore tartan. Like, we think of Culloden, um, and we imagine tartan on one side, redcoats on the other. Not, not true. Um, the government forces had a lot of Highlanders on them, and they traditionally wore the black watch tartan. That's right. If you're ever wondering about the black watch tartan, there's a very deliberate reason it's a much more muted color, because the bright colors, the brighter colors, were more of a surety thing, uh, but more muted and restrained colours were more like, I am a Highlander, but I'm a pro-Hanoverian um, Highlander. You know, it's like, I've picked my side. I haven't lost my culture, but I've picked my side. You know what I mean? Yeah, I could definitely see that. It also just hits me as being a slightly more Protestant look. So, you know, like, uh, Protestants tend to be a lot more basic in their design choices. Like, they uh, they go for, like, kind of muted colours. They don't have many statues. the like, you know, the, the sort of stained glass windows you get in Protestant churches are, no, are nowhere near as ornate and special as the stained glass windows you get in Catholic churches, are they? So it's, it may have been an aspect. Yeah. Religion definitely came into the sort of, the way that they designed some, some of these colours. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, something that I found that was just uh, quite disturbing is, so of course, we d- there is the myth that tartan didn't exist before the 19th century. And it is a myth. Tartan did exist before the 19th century. Oh, of course. But... Like, you know, the tartan that we have from then is a kind of reimagining of what tartan was. And the reason for this, and this is something that's quite sad to me, is that they had these special, like, wood patterns, which they used for determining... So the kilt makers, they had these wood patterns, which each uh, clan had given them. And, and these were, like, so they'd know how to make the tartan. They'd know, like, what colour of string was supposed to go in what area. So the kilt makers, they were these professional guys. They knew how to make their tartans. They knew how to make their kilts. And they knew the exact order all the strings went. Now, after 1746, when the Dress Act was passed, a lot of these wooden things were destroyed, which means the pattern itself was just plain lost to the ages. And these- How could they possibly have destroyed wood, the hardest substance known to man? Uh, fire, the hottest substance known to man. Damn, I always forget about fire. Yeah, it's... And the fire service, which is why I've lost several homes. It's, it's funny because we invented that one. You'd, you'd think you'd remember. Yeah, I'm just sitting there surrounded by that bright red flashy stuff, whatever you guys call it. Uh, you know, the one that hurts when it touches you. And then I'm like, fuck, there's, a, there's people I call at this moment. And I just end up calling Domino's repeatedly. I may lose my home, but I gain substandard pizza. Mm, good times, good times. So there goes our endorsement deal with Domino's. I was really excited to tell you about this, actually. But it appears that um, I don't think Mr. Domino's is going to be very happy with what you're saying about him. Fuck Mr. Domino's. I am in, uh, in allegiance to Duke Pizza Hut because these are all second names and not the titles of stores. Absolutely, absolutely. So here's something. I do think it's a great act of cultural vandalism where they got rid of all these uh, wood patterns that they'd used for making tartans for like, you know, hundreds of years almost. And what was even worse though, 
was the fact that the guys who made the tartans just found themselves kind of unemployed. And they were unemployed, they'd had these great skills that they were no longer able to use. Many of them had to go off into other industries and try other things. And now when kilts were eventually brought back, which were about 30, so 30 plus years later on, many of the guys who used to make kilts were gone. They were just pure dead. So they didn't have even the memory of doing these things. So that's why the tartan was kind of reinvented in the, in the 19th century is because it had to be reinvented in the 19th century because it was so effectively kind of destroyed in the 18th. Yeah. When and of course, in the 19th century, it was very much supported by, you know, people wanting to, this was true in the 1700s, but also in the 19th century, to buy into myths. I mean, Scotland is very unique in that, or not unique, but we have something special in that it was when we stopped being a country is when we really started caring about what it meant to be a country. It was almost like, you know, we kind of took being Scotland for granted. So everyone was being like, I'm from Edinburgh, I'm a Campbell, I'm a Catholic. They had their own different identities. And then when Scotland was gone, everyone was like, wait, 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 wait. So wait, now that we are North British, what does being Scottish mean? And that was when they started asking the questions and being like, holy fuck, I, I don't know. Like, Google it. It's not been invented. Fuck it. Ask Jeeves it. Like, you know, we got to find this out. And part of that discovery, that journey of self-discovery, was the tartans we see today being used by, you know, Versace. Oh, by the way, um, one of my favourite little tartany facts, just to slip this in there, because, you know, we are a big fan of Elvis Presley as a podcast. Um, he has apparently got three tartans connected to him. That's quite a lot of... Was his original last name Mick Presley, or was it...? He's connected with a small village in Aberdeenshire. And um, basically he got honored with that. There's also a Presley of Memphis tartan, which <laughs> is based on, get this, the colors of the US flag with a gold stripe to represent Elvis's multiple gold discs. And it even has a thread count of 42. And what age was uh, Elvis Presley when he died? 27, <laughs> no, 40. 69, no, no yeah. yeah. We all know the truth. We all know the truth. So yeah, you're right. In the sort of 19th century, we kind of get that revival going on of Tartan. And of course, that allowed like shucksters and con artists to slide in there. Do you want to talk about those two brothers from Surrey and their big book of magical Tartan? I've got to be honest, I haven't heard this story and I'm really excited to find out. Wait, you've not like the short... I have um, a difficult second name, so I will try to remember it. It is the Stuart. Basically, there were two lads from Surrey and they had a book and they said in this is all the tartans connected to particular families. And as we have already discussed over our cigars and brandy on this ocean liner, which is where we record all our podcast episodes. Um, you know, as we've been discussing, the whole family tartan thing was actually quite a modern invention. And these guys played a big part in that. Mm. Oh, I found them. The... It was the, the costume of the clans by the Sobieski Stuart brothers. There we are. Thank you. I was not even going to attempt to offend an entire nation by mispronouncing that word. But well done. Well done, Fraser. You're a braver man with a stronger internet connection than me. Yeah, it's, uh, I'm, I'm looking at a couple of the pictures in it now, and they're, they're pretty groovy looking things. Like uh, It looks like the guys are wearing almost turbans or something like this in <laughs> a couple of these pictures. Like the, the the hats they're wearing don't look like the traditional hats you'd expect of you know the Scottish Highlands really, but yeah it's pretty fun. Of course, tartans and kilts even those are quite different because the kilt design back in the day was 
far larger, like the kilt that they used to have was the great kilt. It was not to be confused with the shite kilt, which is not as good. Yeah. Well, the great kilt was big and it was great and it was fantastic because basically it was like carrying around, it was, it was carrying around your equipment uh, as a soldier because you were carrying around like meters and meters and meters of fabric like around your body to keep you warm. It could turn into a sleeping bag. It could turn into a tent. You could use it to carry wounded people with you if you were walking around the place. And you could turn, you could basically use a backpack and camouflage. Like you remember that bit in Lords of the Rings where they fall down on the stones and the orcs are all walking past them and Sam throws his cloak over Frodo and they just disguise themselves as a rock. This is why so many- oh, yeah. This is this is why so many tartans have like you know little bits of color in them. Not like they're not like great lots of color, but they're like say they're predominantly green and dark. But maybe they've got like a little bit of purple or a tiny bit of yellow through them. Like you know, yeah. this, this idea just it, it looks more natural than just somebody being pure green. Because you see somebody just wearing like a green suit and they're just trying to hide in the wilderness. They look ridiculous. But that, yeah. that's why camouflage has kind of got several different colors to it. So in a sense, that camouflage pattern. It's kind of got a bit of its, it owes itself to tartan a bit. Scots invented hiding ourselves, you're welcome. Mm. Which is not entirely true, because if you look at the tartan army today, they are the complete opposite of camouflage. Oh yeah, they're very, very obvious, yeah. But, if anything, they stand out way too much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I'd like, to, I'd like to move us along to the modern day, actually, because the modern, the modern situation with tartan is fascinating. I mean, you've already talked about some of these big names who have things that, you know, Versace, they use tartan in their designs. Of course, the tartan uh, mini skirt is very popular with a lot of people. Maybe not quite as in fashion as it used to be. But I like the idea how tartan, you know, it's, a, it's got a sense of rebellion to it. Like you talked about the Jacobite tartan and how it was a rebel's costume. And it makes so much, mm-hmm. it makes so much sense that that's what punks in their tartan trues with their mohawks. So, like, you know, they're kind of... They took a lot of their styling designs from case okay, of, like, say, the oppressed people like the Native Americans and, you know, the rebellious people like the Scots. And I think that's an amazing sort of design aesthetic, which, yeah, we should really lean into that a bit more. We should be like, kind of, maybe we should get, like, tartan trues and, like, nose rings and stuff for our tours. Oh, that'd be awesome. Yeah, I think so. If nothing else, just for our promo shoot for this, for this podcast, we should definitely do that. Yeah, yeah, just both of us shirtless with a couple of alpacas, maybe. You know, something really exotic, something offensive, you know? Uh, I can think of an offensive thing, but uh, it's too early. And can we pick just like the most random backdrop Scottish monument? So not Edinburgh Castle, not the Sir Walter Scott Monument, but like the Falkirk Wheel or, you know, some small regional museum, like the Flag Museum in Slovian, which has got a car park bigger than the museum. It must be a very small flag. the flag itself is actually massive for a flag. It just literally takes up every inch of space in the museum. You actually have to look through the windows to look at the flag. You can't go inside. That's a very, very peculiar museum. But here's yeah, something. It's more of a stone museum case with a flag in the middle. Yeah. But here's something I was thinking of, right? So I was inspired uh, to come up with this episode for you today because of a tweet that I read, actually. Uh, somebody got in touch on our Twitter page or tr- at True Scotsman Podcast. Well, they didn't get in touch. I saw something they wrote and decided to write a whole Twitter essay on it. And they were mm-hmm. basically how, ah ha ha ha, you know, the nose shop on uh, Victoria Street. Due to coronavirus, that's been turned into a tartan shop. Oh no. It's yet another casualty 
in Edinburgh's increasingly dwindling, you know, retail sector. And but the thing this guy said is uh, Dr. Kurt Muscular, he's called on there. I don't know if he's a real doctor, but, you know, I have to guess that he's probably pretty strong. And what he was saying is he has no idea how 9,999 tartan shops are more successful than one joke shop. Because you'd think... Yeah. Yeah. But, um, and this is something that I looked up in the past. It's, yeah, it's basically just because these shops sell cheap stuff but it's cheap stuff that they know the tourists are going to buy anyway. Like tourists come here, yeah. they want to walk away with a little slice of Scotland. They want a bit of tartan. They want like a little Bobby statue. They want like a picture of the castle or something like this. Oh, hold on, Fraser. I'm about to be attacked by my pet lemur. What's it, what's oh, it? there's two of them. There's two of them. Oh, no, I don't have any fruit for you. What? I don't have any fruit. Please leave me alone. Ah, <laughs> oh, it's in my nose. <laughs> Their fingers are like knives. Okay, sanity is restored. This it was singing. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Singing. You were saying. <laughs> Essentially, there's a lot of heavy breathing in the microphone. It sounds like I'm being kind of like attacked by something, being chased by something. Well, those are the lemurs. Once their bloodlust is satisfied, they will now pant and breathe heavily until they pass out. So. You know, but I'm just gonna I'm I'm gonna deal with that, Fraser. You don't need to worry, okay? Me and my remaining fingers will be more than happy to carry on the episode. Yeah. So basically, do you know how the tartan shops are kept going, Johnny? Um, not really. I kind of just assume it was one of those things where there was so many of them at this stage that they kind of produced their own quantum reality, where you know. 18,000 tartan shops have to all exist at the same time because one of them exists at the same time. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, as long as there is one, there is 18,000. There is no middle ground. Yeah. Like, that's, 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 kind of, that's, that's, that's kind of actually accurate. But, uh, really? Yeah, essentially. So, basically, a, a couple of tartan shops, like, I don't know if you remember, say, 10, 15 years ago, there were, like, you know, two or three big tartan shops on the Royal Mile, but there was a few other shops that sold other things. Uh, maybe not the variety that you'd expect in many high streets around the world, because the Royal Mile is not like a regular high street. It's not like a regular shopping street. It's very much kind of like a, a bit of a museum these days. But mm. yeah, there was definitely, there was those other places, there was some cool cafes and some different things. Well, the problem is, is that some like developers have kind of, taken hold of so many of the buildings there and the rents have just been going up and up and up and up and up and worse the council has been charging more and more money for businesses to actually run uh because well they have no other way of making money because basically council tax has been frozen for so long uh and even when it's not frozen it's not allowed to increase enough to actually pay for the services so essentially this means that these guys are being like the shops have no ability to do things and so you so it's literally a case of if you want your library to stay open or your grandma to receive the care she deserves from her carer, you have to kind of accept there's going to be 18,000 tartan shops? Well, sort of. Basically, the, it's clear to me that the city, the city council could use more money to provide its services. Uh, and that's something which is definitely a topic for a different, a different podcast. We're just purely talking about the tartan shops here. So the tartan shops, they kind of fill this, they, they 
kind of realized that they had a very easy goods to sell, right? It's a goods which lots of people are looking for tartan stuff when they're in Edinburgh. It's, it's like selling water in the desert. It's probably very easy. Now, in addition to this, it's also very cheap to produce. Like a lot of the stuff is made in like sweatshops, like in Bangladesh of, uh, you know, not good synthetic synthetic. Fraser, Fraser, you're losing me. Where in Scotland is Bangladesh? Bangladesh is, I believe, slightly south of Glasgow. It sounds like it. It sounds like it. Okay, sorry, just wanted to clarify because, you know, it's all made in Scotland, of course. There, there was a lot of Welsh influence in that area. And uh, I believe there's a Bangla place in Wales as well. I can't remember exactly at the minute. You mean Banger? Yes, that's it. So I think the, I think it might be close to that, actually. It might be a small... Oh, its original name was Bangladesh. Yes, yes, that's that's exactly it. But then they eventually decided to kind of simplify it down so it would be easier in the street signs. Oh, my goodness, I'm hoping that Bangladesh's name isn't something of great cultural importance. Like, like it turns out it means, like, Holy River or something. We're being really offensive. <laughs> we might be, and I'm not going to look it up, but I'm just going to hope that it is not too offensive. Damn right, Fraser. We're going to do what any great Scottish politician would do. Ostrich this thing till it goes away. <laughs> ride or die, ride or die. That's it. So, yeah. These tartan shops, they've got really cheap goods and they charge quite a lot for them. Like, you know, it's, they're not nearly worth anything near what they were. Uh, and so these things are really cheap and they can sell them for high prices. And of course, the labor costs are also very low. Like the guys who run these tartan shops, they're not known as being the best employers in the city. They're, they're, yeah. said, they're said to be actually pretty tricky and they're said to have some, you know, fairly suspect connections going on. Uh, couple of greased pounds there, you know. The Reddit page r slash Edinburgh is basically a hate page on the tartan shops of our city. <laughs> yeah, that would make a lot of sense. If anyone wants to find out who exactly I'm talking about or who I'm kind of implying, that's the place to go. I don't want to name any names because I do know that these people have been known to actually kidnap people. Hey, they were found innocent, Fraser. They were found innocent. Was it innocent or was it not proven? I do not have a good enough lawyer to make a statement on that. My lawyer is literally a penguin. Fair enough. Yeah, at the minute, I'm not even a trained penguin. The penguin doesn't even know it's my lawyer. I just legally signed its name down on a document once. And so now technically a penguin is my lawyer. It's really a legal nightmare. I am trying to get into a property right now. And honestly, they keep calling an office that doesn't exist for a penguin that doesn't even know it's a lawyer. What I'm basically saying is, Fraser, would you be my lawyer? Do I get power of attorney? Well, well of course. I, have you spoken to me for longer than five minutes, Fraser? Do you think I'm a fully functioning adult who should have say over his financial matters? I literally just told you I gave power of attorney to a penguin. <laughs> yeah, all right, mate. I'll help you out there. I'll make sure you... I'll, I'll see Thanks, you. brother. Good times. Let's get back to the tartan, eh? Then we'll talk about our legal contract. Yeah, so anyway, these shops are having all kinds of, they're doing all kinds of horrible things to the city's overall structure because, you know, that they're not there to provide people with good employment and they're not there to give people a good time. And I, I really think it's something that we should look into how we can fix this because I'd really like it if tartan, 
like, you know, it, it is something which is kind of sacred to us. It's something that's kind of special, you know. I got married in Tartan, and that was, like, you know, a really cool and important moment to me. Uh, fun mm. fact, there were about 30 people at the wedding wearing kilts, and none of them wore the same tartan. Oh, that's, that's actually, like, yeah, good shout. Normally, you'd expect it to be about half, what, Royal Stuarts, or, yeah, yeah, about half Royal Stuart, half Black Watch. <laughs> so that's quite good. Yeah, you're only supposed to wear a Royal Tartan if you are a Royal, apparently. So, actually, if you wear a Royal Tartan and you're not a Royal, you could get in trouble. Mm. Yeah. Is that what the Queen does? Is she going around, like, attacking people for wearing her tartans? Yeah, that's exactly what the Queen does with a day off. That's why she's got the corgis, because the corgis are her official kilt inspectors. They look... Ah. The corgis, because they're really small, right? They run up underneath your kilt, and they take a look there, and then they whiff at her a couple of times if you're not wearing stuff, and they whiff at her once if you are wearing underpants. And if you are wearing underpants, the Queen says to you, the fine for wearing underpants in my realm is two cans of beer. And that is a true fact. The fine for wearing underpants underneath a kilt is two cans of beer. Wow. I'm not sure who extracts this fine and who polices it, but I believe it's the queen and her corgis. And isn't that the greatest symbol of our united countries? Welsh corgis under a British monarch inspecting a Scottish piece of clothing. This is just, you know, like, like I, I'm getting patriotic right now. Someone, someone, I, I need five minutes. Yeah, well, I'm about finished with my whole spiel, so um, I'm not sure if I can talk for five minutes. The thing is about Tartan is obviously it has taken on, you know, a greater identity than it has. What's quite interesting is when they made it a family Tartan and when there was this whole attempt to kind of divorce it from its political heritage, um, you know, they kind of thought that, you know, it had moved into a, a political item. I feel as if it is still apolitical, but there are definitely some who kind of imagine Tartan becoming political again, you know, in the same way that some would like to see the flag become political, because obviously it's a Scottish national symbol, and there's a lot of talk over what Scottish nationhood is and means for the future. So, What's really interesting is we might actually witness a full circle transition of, you know, a political symbol becoming a non-political symbol and then becoming a political symbol again, which has happened loads of times in history. But to witness it live, you know, it, it's pretty good. You know, it's a bit like the Lion King live. There's something special about it. I think that's exactly it. And that's what the upcoming round of episodes we're going to have on Scottish independence are all going to be about. They're going to be a circle, a dance, if you like, between two of the greatest minds of our generation talking about independence. That's right. And the it's going to be a circle of jerks. That is what it is going to be, a circle of jerks talking about independence. Damn, yeah. Indeed, that's, that's exactly what it's going to be. Right, so... It sounds like the police are coming for you, Fraser, so we may better wrap this episode up before yeah. you have to go spend your night in the cells. Yeah, it's all this tartan, you know, it is, it's quickly becoming a rebellious symbol. And uh, yeah, I better get my story straight, make sure my wife is sworn to secrecy because, you know, wife, uh, wives can't be asked to testify for the husbands. I think that's, that's the case in American law. I don't know if that's the case in Scottish law. That's the thing. Well, she is American, so American law will apply. And I know people are going to be like, wait, that's not how it works. Yeah, yeah, of course, that's not how it works. Yeah, of course, of course. America just lets 
lets these things go. Anyway, yes, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I've got some other goodbyes because I need to prepare myself for my immediate arrest. My name is Fris Mendricorn. I am currently, as far as I am aware, according to the legal documents provided by my Penguin attorney, Johnny Rhodes. And this has been True Scotsman Podcast. Thanks for following along. Make sure to hit that like button, comment positively on iTunes or whatever. Uh, yeah, follow us at True Scotsman Pod on Twitter. And so long. Stay safe. True Scotsman is a Scottish history and culture podcast by Roshan Caird, Fraser Medvedic-Horn and Johnny Rhodes. The music is by Adam Logan. Each Saturday, we release a new episode exploring an aspect of Scottish history that we're interested in and that we want to tell you about. If you enjoyed the show and you'd like to support it, share the podcast around, tell your friends. We're here every week with a new episode for you.